BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey folks, stand by for Eric Bollert, but first let's talk about home title lock. Deborah's home was stolen. I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean, scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. In fact, this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to her home online and then filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned it. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah also says she was evicted from her home and 85 grand in equity was disappeared, gone, vanished, poof. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. Folks, this is why you need to get home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to hometitlelock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't know it. Then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. And to get you started, I got you 60 risk-free days of protection. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters. Relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up. Never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show. Presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, February 12, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Today, we welcome back to the show the great Eric Bollert, media critic and all-around badass. You might know Eric from such programs as the Stephanie Miller Show and this one, as well as his brand new publishing platform called Press Run. Subscribe for free at pressrun.substack.com. Link in the description at bobseska.com. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear today, please consider supporting this show by pledging at least $1 a month on our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here comes my friend, the great Eric Bollert. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Bob, good, and you? Um, you know, all things considered, I'm doing okay, especially given how we've got Donald Trump going full tyrant right now. I mean, do yeah. you th- do you think it's accurate? To Tyrant's descri- a good word. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, do you think it's accurate to describe Trump as a tyrant? I mean, to weaponize law enforcement for political purposes effectively makes him a tyrant, right? This is one of the problems the press has, right? The press doesn't know what to call him, right? He, you know, they won't call him a fascist or authoritarian and a tyrant. And look, if, you, if, you, if I were an academic and I looked at the definitions, maybe he doesn't apply 
those there's a gap in our language right mm-hmm. you know the the post and the C, and cnn the new york times you know they call him uh you know or sometimes if if they're really trying to scramble if he's doing something insane you know uh fiery you know or eccentric yeah. or you know words like that and and then there's this gap in terms of what he actually is and then there's these kind of traditional words we never apply to american politics authoritarian and mm-hmm. you know uh anti-democratic a tyrant and things like that so the press has, you know doesn't really know what to do with trump they, they, they won't even call him a liar right he's yeah. on he's on pace to tell 16,000 lies in 4 years right. and and you know we have newsrooms that have de- dedicated people just to chronicling those lies, and then they turn around and te- tell everyone, "Well, you can't call him a li- liar." So th- they've, they're, they're still struggling with this language. And when we have events like that, we we've already forgotten his incoherent, rambling, insane, mind-melting sp- impeachment speech last week, <laughs> right. which was what like four or five days ago, or four days. I can't even remember. And, you know, all the cable channels covered it live for 70 minutes. I guarantee you in the history, uh, you know, modern era of American politics, uh, minus a state of a union address, no president has ever spoke uninterrupted for 70 minutes before and been carried live. Mm -hmm. And so certainly no one's ever done that in the middle afternoon. And, and so why did they carry that for 70 minutes? Well, it's impeachment. We can't cut away. He'll, he'll yell at us. He'll be upset. We'll get attacked by Fox News. He could have talked for three hours. Yeah. They would have carried that for three hours. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. So even when he has this, this, this slow motion mind melt on national television like last week mm. or, or when he does something incredibly dangerous, like basically tweets his attorney general to interfere with the prosecution of, of Roger Stone and his interference with the 2016 campaign. The press, you know, you know, the Washington Post yesterday called it suspicious. No, no, we are so far beyond, yeah. beyond suspicious. And remember, this is the same D.C. press corps that freaked out when Bill Clinton met Loretta uh, Lynch on, on the tarmac yeah. during the 2016, because that didn't look good. Right. There was bad optics. Well, they shouldn't have been talking to each other. We have Trump literally telling his attorney general, hey, get in here, get my guy off, reduce the sentencing request. Uh, We now have a a Department of Justice that is that that works to uh, defend Trump and clear his, you know, clear his buddies of criminal activity. Mm. The main point. The, 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 we are so far past the point where we really need to break the glass on the on the emergency case, right? Yeah. Uh, but this is what normalization does. This is what normalization does. It happens day after day, week after week, mm-hmm. uh, and and we we're not having the proper conversation. Just just in terms of this Roger Stone case, uh, twenty newspapers today should be calling for for Trump to resign. Yeah. Minimum. Right. Minimum. Right. Uh, this is this is just beyond anything we've seen in American politics. Uh, this is why there are separate branches of government, and he's just tearing it all up, just like he's torn everything up. Yeah. And why why does he tear everything up? Because he's no he knows there's no real consequence. 
And you know, when I see soft language, like the language that you're talking about, that you see in some of these headlines, especially in New York Times, where they're hesitant to use words like lying and so on, they're certainly hesitant to use a word like tyrant. I don't think we're going to see any yeah. major papers of record using the word tyrant anytime soon. And that makes me wonder sometimes, Eric, whether or not we should take Donald Trump seriously, whether we should actually believe Donald Trump when he says in a tweet that some members of the press might want him to be reelected because it's really good for business. Should we take that seriously? Because sometimes I get a little bit concerned. Like maybe there are some people in maybe the corporate offices that control a network like CNN, for example, who kind of like the idea of having a big giant target like Donald Trump to capitalize on. Do you think there's a validity to that? Well, that's certainly been a concern. I mean, you know, people have, have, you know, in the comments in my articles and on Twitter, people have been expressing that concern for at least three years, mm-hmm. right? That, that you know, this is good for ratings, it's good for profits. I mean, if you get down to kind of the granular, uh, you know, I'm not sure right now, three years in, it's it's been a, a, a huge boost for cable news minus Fox News. You know, I think 2017 was. But look, you know, with this insanity, with this incessant Trump's incessant need to be in front of a camera every day to make news, to do shocking things, uh, there there comes uh, Trump fatigue. Yeah. And, you know, and we and we saw it with the State of the Union uh, address. He lost one quarter of his audience between. 2019 and 2020, he lost 10 million viewers wow. who decided, you know what, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it, the fact that that was impeachment week, and I'm sure people, uh, you know, I think they're just kind of tired of this act. So mm. I don't know. There's an argument to be made that he, he's great for news, and there's an argument to be made that the fatigue has set in. But back to your point, and I think it's a fair one. Even if he's not producing bigger profits, and he very well may be, even, but if you're in the journalism business, he is a great story. Yeah. Because uh, look, if if you know Barack Obama's second term, you go back, you try to find four flashpoints in four years. I mean, it was called No Drama Obama for a reason. <laughs> uh, there were not a lot of people running to their TVs and, and 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 you know and turning on the radio, and they had to get on Twitter to find out what Obama did that day. Yeah. So I think just. I think just generally, yes, I think journalists love the fact that the news has made a huge comeback. Uh, let, let's face it, most of these draconian, awful policies and executive statement, you know, executive orders that Trump does, doesn't affect journalists who, who live in Washington and Maryland, Virginia. It just, yeah. it, it just doesn't, it doesn't affect their day-to-day lives. Uh, you know, they don't have, you know, folks they know trying to get across the border and, and in, 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 or living on the safety net and things like that. So for them, there, there's absolutely, I think, a certain amount of entertainment value involved in all this. Now, does that translate into, I hope he wins four more years? I don't know. Hmm. That's a pretty big leap. These are smart people. I think all of them understand the extraordinary damage he's doing to democracy in this country. But they're also in a business where, look, if you work for if you work for television news, the only number you care about is the number of minutes you are on in front of a camera every year. And every correspondent and every on-air person can tell you at the end of the year, within five minutes, (laughs) with a grand total of the number of stories and the number of minutes they were on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it was famously Les Moonves, you know, during 2016, you know, who, who then was running CBS, 
you know, who said, I don't know if Trump's good for the country, but he's good for our bottom line. So I, I think there's still yeah. that an appreciation that Trump is is boosting the news business and people are interested in the news. And, you know, um, there, there, there's never a shortage of stories to chase at this point. And I think in the time that we've all been doing this, Eric, and you're just just like I am, we're both products of Blogosphere 1.0. It is right, really right. it's really evolved into kind of a big money business right now covering this ongoing train wreck, the as uh, Steve Bannon likes to call it, it's we're, we're covering the decline, <laughs> which is a horrible <laughs> way to put it. And I, and I hope we really aren't covering a decline inside the United States, the decline of uh, American democracy, oh. the decline of the American press. But some days it really kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think we are. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> you right. know, uh, and, 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 you know, I hate to say it, but. Oh, I think we are. Uh, you know, look, the sixty-four thousand dollar question is if you know if a Democrat can win the presidency, if we can turn this around. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to go back to normal. The, these these forces have been unleashed in this country. Trump has empowered so many awful, hateful forces. Uh, they're not going to they're not going to become quiet. The Republican Party is not going to find insanity. Is not going to work across the aisle in, in anything. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, can we, can we, can a, a democratic administration restore some of the sanity? Sure. I mean, they can reverse some of these ridiculous policies, but, um, yeah, no, look, I, I think the declines that we have suffered as a country in the last three years, many of them are going to be difficult to turn around, you know, and, and one of the things I tweeted, uh, I might have even been on election night in 2016 or the day after, you know, I said, everyone thinks America is guaranteed a happy ending, but we're not. Uh, we were certainly up until Trump was elected. I, you know, I grew up in the same public schools as everyone else. And mm -hmm. of, of course, you know, the United States was an exception. And of course, you know, these institutions can't fail. And of course, it ebbs and flows. But you know, the core democracy and, and the foundation of the country is never really in trouble. But yeah, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Because we've seen how those institutions have, have cowered uh, under under Trump and institution, institutions that should have stood up to him inside the Beltway have done uh, the complete opposite. And, you know, from my observations, it seems like the prevailing wisdom inside a lot of newsrooms is, let us cling to normalcy. Let us cling yes. to the standard way we have done everything uh, since the beginning. And right. the, the problem with this, especially uh, when it comes to cable news, this clinging to the old paradigm that all this treachery is just partisan bickering and the same yes. old politics as usual. Why do you think it's happening? Is it really like... We don't know anything different. This is the only way we know how to do things. So therefore, yeah. we're going to we're going to cover the decline into tyranny in this country um, the same way we've been covering political argle bargle yeah. since the beginning. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so back to uh, Trump's insane self-implosion speech last week and, mm -hmm. and the fact that all the cable channels covered it for its entirety. You know, the Associated Press did a piece and they quoted um, uh, a journalism professor and, and he was saying, you know, three years into this, you know, and news organizations don't know how to cover Trump. And I think that what? was a fair point. And I responded, 
In fact, I think they do know how to cover Trump. They just choose not to. Right. And and that goes to your point. Look, Trump is the most the most radical player in American politics in the history of this country. There's no question in terms of the power he has um, he has accumulated and and his radical and dangerous ways. The press has never responded in a radical way in terms of how do we cover this, yeah. right? And and just as you say, they're clinging to. Uh, they're clinging to the tradition because for a few reasons we can talk about one, it's what they know. Yep. B two, it's, it's the easiest. They don't, you know, you don't have to reinvent anything. And the third though, and I think this is the most important and, and it's the one that's driving all this is fear. Mm. And, and so look, if you start calling the president of the United States a liar, uh, in the headlines, in news stories, not opinion columns, in news leads, you talk about how he lied his way through the State of the Union. If you start talking about uh, how he's a racist, uh, if you start talking about uh, his questionable me mental health, you know, those, just the mental health one. I mean, you know, why aren't reporters in constant, constant sort of contact or interviewing mental health experts? and trying to figure out what is going on with this guy in the Oval Office. Once you raise doubts about the mental fitness of the President of the United States, that really has to be the only story of his presidency. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't raise it once and, and then just say, well, forget it. I mean, that, yeah. that, is, that is the biggest story in American politics in the last century. If we have a mentally unstable person in the Oval Office, and I guarantee you, you can find nonpartisan medical experts who will look at this and say, we do. That's the story of the century. <laughs> right. I mean, what, what could possibly come closer in terms of American politics? So once you open that box, that Pandora's box, you can't put it back on and imagine – you know, the hellfire that that would create mm -hmm. from Trump, from the White House, from the GOP, from Fox News. Mm -hmm. Same thing, you know, if you start calling him a liar. So, look, you know, journalists understand how this game is played. They know they understand how the game of intimidation is played and they don't want anything to do with it. Uh, you know, I've, I've written a lot about you know why you know, the you know why news organizations won't call Trump a liar. Why it's important. Why it would change our conversation. And, and and isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? We have a president come in. Trump comes in, and overnight, every news organization in America decides for whatever you know they come up with these rationalizations. <laughs> oh, we can't call him a liar. Yeah. Right. It's, isn't I mean if this was if this was. Why do why I, I could understand like okay these five or six major news organizations aren't going to call him a liar, and these ten think you know are going to because they're going to look. Since when do all news organizations come to the exact same conclusion about a controversial topic and how they cover it? They all came to the exact same conclusion, the same in my opinion cowardly yep. conclusion. Because they didn't want to deal with it. And there's no way. You think NPR is going to step out and <laughs> NPR is going to look at the New York Times and the New York Times says, well, you know, we're not in Trump's head. We don't know if he's a liar. You think NPR is going to step out on a limb and say, no, we're comfortable. We're yeah. comfortable. He has told that the lie about funding for the, the border wall 65 times. Mm -hmm. So we, we're comfortable. He understands that it's not true. We don't think he was just misinformed. So we're going to go ahead and start calling him a liar. There's no way right. on, in this, on this planet that NPR, for instance, which happens to get its funding from the government, 
is ever going to step out on a limb and say, we came to a different editorial decision. Uh, instead, everyone came to the exact same timid editorial decision mm -hmm. and overnight invented this new standard that you can't call someone a liar because you don't live inside their head. I get the sense that even more damaging than using this soft language, you know, avoiding words like liar and so on. I get the sense that even more damaging than that is what Steve, going back to Steve Bannon, in fact, what yeah. he has exposed in the press, and it's not too difficult to figure this out. I'm surprised no one figured it out sooner. That if you, as Steve Bannon likes to say, if you flood the zone with shit, the yeah. especially the cable news press doesn't know what the fuck to do with it because with the ratings motive with the profit motive you can only really cover the stories that people are talking about at any given moment there's no room right. to cover all the things that they flood the zone with i mean stephanie miller right. came up with the tennis ball machine back at the beginning of the administration yep. and we've transformed that into the fire hose of news and in fact right, what right. we've learned since then is that Steve Bannon has weaponized the fire hose of news and right. created this atmosphere that now Trump continues to exploit by just, again, flooding the zone with shit, seizing up. You know what it's yeah. like? It's like uh, that uh, that movie Awakenings with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro, where they figured right, out right, that, right. The, that the... The catatonia was actually just Parkinson's tremors taken to the extreme to the point where the people actually seize up. That's kind of what they're doing with the press, isn't it? Well, it's interesting that, you know, yeah, you know, it's it's we're three years into this. It's still important that the Trump is fact checked and things like mm -hmm. that. But sometimes, you know, I'm on Twitter and, or I'm watching the news and, you know, Trump says tweet something or said something patently idiotic <laughs> and made up and false. And then here, you know, here comes, you know, again, I don't mean to be making fun, but then here comes this earnest fact check to say, you know, no, the moon is not made of cheese. Yeah. And you're just like, what are we doing? Like, what, why, why are we doing this three years in? Just say Trump lied about something. So, so to your point, yeah, it's the shiny object. You know, Trump told the same lie for the 55th time. We're going to tell you, we're going to, you know, we're going to fact check it now. We should be beyond that point, right? Mm -hmm. We should be beyond that point. But in terms of what Bannon is doing, this is, you know, this is what Putin has done uh, for decades. And, they, and, and in Moscow, they call it the fog of unknowability. Yeah. And so we've see, we see it with Trump. It's not just the constant, you know, uh, crap they throw out. And it's not the shiny objects. It's the constant contradictions. Tr Trump announces a policy three days later, he walks it back. Trump, uh, you know, uh, attacks someone in the Republican Party three days later, he's complimenting him. And, and so it, the fog of unknowability is to create this place, this media news landscape where no one really understands what's up or down. Yeah. Nobody really can get a straight answer out of the federal government about anything. That's why we don't have spokespeople. That's why we don't have press briefings. Uh, so the, all the transparency has been unplugged. Um, and, and it's absolutely working. And, you know, I don't know if it's some, you know, masterful design. I don't know if it's just because Trump's a madman. I don't know if it's mostly because he's surrounded himself with cowards in the Republican Party. So he has a complete run to do whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a big part of it. This is a big part of it. Yeah. And, and, and it's the constant churning. It's classic, you know, Russian disinformation and misinformation. It's just to create confusion 
Uh, and it really, I mean, we talk about Trump being a radical player and the press not knowing how to deal with it. I mean, this is a classic case of, uh, of um, you know, the Beltway journalists not really understanding what's going on. And people, other people have pointed out, you know, the American press has virtually no understanding or, or practice in terms of covering an authoritarian regime, right? Right. Most of them have never been foreign correspondents. They don't understand how these things uh, uh, um, kind of uh, are rolled out in slow motion in places like Poland and mm-hmm. Hungary. And and this people in Europe see this, and it's and it's perfectly obvious what's happening. They've seen it happen in eight, ten, twelve different countries in the last decade over there. And they look at the United States and they say, "Oh, here it goes again." And and the U.S. press. It's utterly clueless, and as we started out in the beginning, they don't have the language. They're not going to use the words yeah. that they that they automatically. If this was happening in Poland, all the every, if Trump were in Poland and was doing exactly what he's doing today, every adjective that they refuse to use now, they would use on a daily basis because it's blindingly obvious what's yeah. happened. Oh yeah. Right. We have a liar. We have a tyrant. We have an authoritarian and anti-democratic leader. We have a, a you know a right wing, uh, a right wing nationalist. All of those adjectives would be used constantly because they're accurate. But because it's happening in the United States, oh 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 oh, we can't use any of those. We, we we're going to burn through the thesaurus to come up with nice, safe uh, sounding ways. Um, to call this, you know, a white nationalist, you know, controversial or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and in fact, you brought up disinformation a second ago. Um, the new McKay Coppins piece in the Atlantic about Trump's disinformation Death Star is a truly harrowing read, uh, especially right. if a healthy and factual press is something we should support, and I think we all do. But part of the goal here of this Death Star that Brad Parscale has set up in Rosalind is to drag the news media down to the same level as disinformation so that reality right. doesn't exist anymore. When everything is disinformation, then nothing is. Do you think they're right. gonna be do you think they're gonna be successful? I mean, certainly there is some blindsiding that's taking place. I don't know if the press understands that this Death no, Star don't. is gunning for them like Alderaan right. in, the, in the metaphor. Right. And again, this you know, again, not to harp on it, but this is all out of the the Putin playbook. I mean, trying to just completely dismantle the press. You don't outlaw it. You just you know hammer it from so many different sides. Yeah. But look, this is a press corps that it if they. I don't know if they actually still believe it. They certainly pretend to believe the Republican Party is still populated in terms of, you know, members of Congress and the Senate. It's still populated by honorable, factual people. You know, they to, to, they, to the day they die, they will never uh, give up the ghost that Susan Collins is, is an honorable person, that Mitch McConnell is, is, is a super savvy, you know, strategist and at heart, you know, a decent guy. Uh, so no, that's, that's one of the ways they're going to get blindsided. And, uh, and I know one of the themes of that piece was, and I mean, I, I was in media matters for a decade. So, I mean, this isn't news to you or me, mm-hmm. the right wing doesn't want to, um, uh, ding the press, the right wing, <laughs> the right wing wants to destroy the press. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's not about, Oh, they're so biased or gee, that headline wasn't unfair. It was, how do we gut all trustworthiness in, in the American press? Because why? 
because they're not interested in running a democracy. Mm-hmm. If you want to get rid of the free press, and again, they're not trying to outlaw the press or anything like that. They want to just uh, completely de- delegitimize it. They yep. want to confuse it beyond uh, so they don't have any understanding of what's going on. Why would you want to essentially erase the free press? It, you do that if you want to run an, an, an authoritarian government, if you want to run – uh, um, again, the, the, a, a government like that has popped up all over Europe, you know, these right-wing uh, white nationalist parties. And that's what the Republican Party is. I mean, you talk about lawless. I mean, my goodness. I mean, we just saw it with the impeachment trial. I mean, this is a, this is a party that has completely embraced a lawless agenda. The Republican Party, certainly, you know, members of Congress, they're really, they don't pass any legislation of any kind. Their only job is to protect a criminal in the White House. Uh, that's pretty radical and, and dangerous stuff. But as we talked about a little bit before, you know, the press is so committed to its both sides. Well, this, this is just gridlock. Well, this is just partisan bickering. I mean, holy smokes, I, I was tweeting about a, you know, a political story the other day, and, and it's, you know, in the wake of Trump being unleashed and Trump surviving impeachment, and, 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 and it basically was, gee, Democratic messaging isn't very consistent, <laughs> you know, that they're not really getting their message across. Yeah. And, and so this is the way they look at they, this is the way they look at what's happening. We have basically an ongoing constitutional crisis because, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's Trump trying to get a foreign country to interfere with their election. Now he's, he's personally interfering on, on uh, federal prosecutions with Roger Stone. I mean, we have got a constitutional crisis uh, in in the press. Mm, you know, like I said, they're just not willing to break the glass, and yeah. and and they're they're going to soft shoe this. They're going to normalize this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, there might be big headlines, and yes, uh, people express concern, and you know, gee, this seems suspicious, as the Washington Post said yesterday. But they're not talking in clear, factual language about. Uh, a, a democratic crisis in this country, which is what we're facing. I mean, if we have a Department of Justice, which now, like the Republican Party, exists solely to defend, to protect a criminal in the White House, mm-hmm. again, look around. That This happens all over the globe, and we call it out, and we label it all the time. But because it's happening here, you know, the press is, is going to – they're going to pretend as long as they have to pretend, I think. Right. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Eric here in just one second. But Valentine's Day is just around the corner. In fact, you might be listening to this, and it's Valentine's Day officially. But imagine this story is all about you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date for Valentine's Day, just about 10 minutes away. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. So you have to rummage through your bag thinking... Oh my God, where's my secret weapon? And there it is waiting for you, your can of Plexiderm. So you apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You're going to look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just a matter of minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift for yourself. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off, plus an extra $10 off. This offer is available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. 
Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout or 1-800-685-1292. That's plexiderm.com, code VOICES. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. I mean, we're kind of in a position where we have to thread a needle. And I imagine uh, as you proceed through Press Run, uh, pressrun.substack.com, that you're in the process of kind of threading this same needle, which is how do we remain critical of the press while at the same time supporting yeah. press freedom and encouraging more adversarial press against Trump and the Trump crisis? How do we thread that needle? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, last week uh, there was that State of the Union uh, address, and, the, and, and hours before, there's, there's this traditional lunch at the White House where all the TV anchors are invited for an off-the-record um, lunch with the president, no matter who the president is. It's kind of an – it doesn't generate any news. It's just mm-hmm. kind of protocol and tradition, and and um, and TV anchors get to, get to bask in the access of hanging out with the president. Uh, Trump, you know, Trump, uh, CNN, not allowed, can't come, uh, no reason, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. Not that it would have mattered. Uh, uh, he's just, uh, you know, they're locked out of the, of the lunch. So in any normal circumstance, a, that's a huge story. B, uh, why didn't every other news organization just say, Oh, okay, we're not going either. Yeah. And then Trump is eating lunch by himself. And and crying tears because he's such a narcissist. He's got. I mean, that would be the ultimate insult for him. <laughs> There's never been any collective action. And and so my point to you is, gosh, it's it's hard to root for the press in the era of Trump if the press won't even root for itself. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're folks on the left are trying to do two things, right? Yes, we are pointing out the mistakes, and 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 we're, we are critical because they're not doing their job. On the flip side, we're trying to defend them. I yeah. mean, we all want a robust press. We're, we're outraged by the war on the press. But, oh my gosh, like the State of the Union thing, you just look at that and, like, if, like, if they won't even stand up for themselves, what? why are we bothering? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, it's amazing that, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he bans uh, CNN for no reason and every other news organization didn't even blink. Oh, yeah, we'll be there. Yep. Yep, we're sending our we're sending our our, our anchor. Too bad for CNN. I mean, Jeez. I mean I, everyone is so tired about him you know, mm-hmm. from you know if from the oh, imagine if Obama did scenario, but but I mean, my God, I mean, there would be congressional hearings if Obama had uh, had banned CNN. And I guarantee you, if Obama had ever done anything that dramatic in terms of trying to ice out one specific very powerful news organization. Uh, there would have been help to pay from from all of them, and that's another thing. Is like, I mean, we're not talking about mom and pop shops here, right? CNN, bank, CNN took in a billion dollars in profit last year. Yeah, these are huge global institutions, massively powerful. They have a ton of leverage, and yet Trump looks at them cross-eyed, and they just cave. Yeah. <laughs> they just cave. I mean, it is astonishing. And, and so I go back to the point I already made a couple of times. But, you know, if they won't even defend themselves, then, then it's, it's really hard for us, 
to to stand up for them. I, in your estimation, obviously, there's got to be members of the press who are doing it the right way. Do you think it helps if we, at the same time, while we're being critical of the press and, and the mistakes they make, do you think it also helps to praise the ones who are doing it the right way? Like, for example, there is a vast difference between what we see on Meet the Press Daily versus what we see in MS Primetime. And does it help if we say, okay, look, what Lawrence O'Donnell did in his A block, he did it the right way. What yeah. uh, Chuck Todd did in his A block, completely <laughs> wrong. Do you think it helps Not if we great. make that, that contrast? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, look, it, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's always good to um, lift up voices that are doing it right. Because, yeah. uh, you know, look, I mean, journalists get hit from the left and the right. You know, I, I don't think the criticism from the right is – um, valid or intellectually honest, uh, but it certainly stings them much harder. So sure, I think it's important. Uh, I just wish there were more examples. Uh, I mean, you mentioned my my new um, newsletter press run. I mean, every one I try at the bottom to have you know uh, a section where I you know praise good journalism, and I'm like, this is how we should do it. Uh, I included a clip from uh, the NBC reporter. Uh, uh, last week during impeachment, you know, and and she was part of the scrum for these Republican members of the House, and they were giving just these word salad, nonsensical answers about impeachment and about witnesses. And everyone else is, you know, doing the usual thing, nodding and writing it down, and the cameras are recording, and she just would not let it go. She's like, you know, she was doing what they should have been done. And, and the reason I included it, even though it had been widely viewed, I said, imagine if re- if most reporters had done this since impeachment began last September. Imagine if they had aggressively challenged nonsensical Republican responses about, you know, evidence about witnesses. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been a different impeachment. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to highlight the stuff it uh, sometimes it just makes it sad that there's so little. Yeah, of it. yeah. And honestly, for my newsletter, sometimes I really got to scrounge around. And uh, but yeah, I'm always willing to do it. You know, one last thing on the McKay Coppins piece in the Atlantic. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to get your opinion on this. How should the Democrats fight fire against this mm-hmm. uh, disinformation Death Star? There's sort of two schools of thought here. Obviously, uh, yeah. in the piece, I think uh, McKay quotes uh, Matt Osborne, who says basically who organized something down in Alabama, some sort of rat fucking thing with Roy Moore in yeah. Alabama. And then there's Judd Legum, who says, you know what, we can do the micro targeting, but We've got enough truth that'll actually work really well uh, because we don't have to make shit up against Donald yeah. Trump because truth is is stranger than fiction here. So where do you think? Where do you land on that? How the Democrats uh, fight fire? It's really, really tough. Uh, and, and I agree with Judd. But the problem is, uh, if we as we have found out with Trump, I mean, he's been on a, the political scene for five years since the summer of 2015. A lot of that stuff just doesn't stick and people know he's kind of a scumbag and people know he's awful, but there's also been this huge disengagement uh, across the political spectrum. Um, And so it's tough. Yeah, we have the truth on our side, but just in general in our, in our American culture and Trump is absolutely benefiting from that. There is a disengagement and people are not as focused in on the facts. And a lot of people specifically, I know I have friends who, you know, are smart people and follow the news and, you know, they just say, 
you know, whether they it happened on inauguration day, whether it happened three months ago, whether it happened two years ago, they just said, I, I can't really do it. You know, I just I, I don't really follow the news anymore. Hmm. And, you know, the, and these are people who've never taken that path. So it, it's yes, we do have the, the truth on our side. But in this age of disinformation, in this age of news fatigue, it's not that easy and i don't have an answer and 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 what it what really highlights is we are playing two different games yeah and this has been true for decades it is incredibly true in terms of uh under trump democrats are live in a factual based world and republicans have just completely become detached couldn't care less about it uh and 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 and, and you know and the press just is not being aggressive enough explaining that right yeah. they they still they still treat republicans as kind of serious people and i did a you know i did a column in my newsletter about mitch mcconnell i mean he just oversaw basically a soviet style show trial yeah. in the senate in the senate just absolutely refused to allow evidence to lose to witnesses mm-hmm. First person members of trump's own national security team were willing to testify he wouldn't do it, and for two days, the New York Times toasted him, calling, you know, calling him a master tactician. Oh, look at McConnell—he out—he outsmarted uh, those 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 slow-footed Democrats again. This guy is so smart. They sent a reporter to Kentucky to do what? To interview quote over a dozen Republicans to talk about how great Mitch McConnell is. Not one Democrat interviewed in a story about uh, McConnell's role in the impeachment trial. Mm-hmm. So. And I asked, you know, why has the Republican Party become so unabashedly corrupt? And the answer is institutions like the New York Times not only won't hold them accountable, they'll actually toast them for being so smart and being so super savvy. But so back to your original point, it's a really tough one for Democrats. Uh, I think everyone understands this campaign is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. And frankly, I'm not sure Democrats have uh, uh, an answer. Yeah. We tried that in 2016. Hey, we got the facts. The American people are good people. We're going to give them the facts. We're going to give them the truth. And look what happened. Yeah, I, I mean, there has to be a new way to fight back against um, an yeah. entire party that now has no interest in intellectual honesty, no interest in consistency, no, no interest in facts. I mean, Don Jr. today was tweeting about Mike Bloomberg as if Don Jr. and his dad have not done anything in the realm of racism. I mean, there's just <laughs> the way they were going after Mike Bloomberg. It's as if Charlottesville oh, never yeah. happened. It's as if shithole countries never happened. How do lifetime f- members of the NAACP all of a sudden. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're Look, it, 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 it's, you know, this is what uh, uh, practitioners of the dark arts do, right? Mm. They don't care about the hypocrisy. And I mean, they'll just turn any narrative. I mean, Trump, the fact that Trump constantly makes fun of how, the way people look, mm-hmm. you know, a normal person <laughs> who looks like he looks, right? you'd say, oh, geez, geez I better, but no. So there's no self-awareness, but it, it's, it's on purpose, right? And, and so it's, it's kind of like the jujitsu thing, right? Well, we're going to run a racist campaign, so we're going to attack Mike Bloomberg for being a racist. You know, you know, and that's yeah. They they do it without apology, without yeah. apology, and 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 unfortunately, 
it can be very effective. You know, I just recently checked out her work and Rachel Bitkofer, I'm interested to get your view on how she's modeling this election insofar as she's essentially saying it doesn't matter who we nominate on the Democratic side, because now it's all about sports franchises. It's all about our team versus their team. And we want our team to win. And it just comes down to in presidential contests, which team has more momentum, which team has more energy to just overwhelm the other team. What do you think of that? I mean, ultimately, is it going to matter who the Democrats choose as their nominee or is it just all about teamism, franchisism? Well, this this is interesting, and and this is one of the reasons that Twitter is not real life and that people need to (laughs) uh, understand that. but I am in the firm, absolutely in, in, in the um, uh, firmly planted in the um, uh, the field that says, uh, for better or for worse, and I don't mean to sound condescending or whatever. Uh, presidential campaigns are personality contests, yeah. and and they they are mostly about uh, entertainment. This idea that policy really plays much of a role in anything. I mean, you, you can just go to Iowa, New Hampshire, and the polls. Who's your first choice? Who's your second choice? Well, the first and second choice really have – well, Democratic candidates are quite similar this year. But, I mean, you look at, oh, Bernie Sanders is my first and, and, and uh, Klobuchar is my second. And you would look at that and you would say, well, that's weird. It doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. People are not going down the rabbit hole. People are not following even a huge policy like Medicare for all. People don't even – you know, let alone, you know, a quote from 30 years ago or none of that stuff matters. Mm -hmm. It is a personality. It is a personality contest. uh, And, and and for better, for worse, Democrats have to understand that, you know, if you, if you're running someone who basically comes across as an academic, it's not going to work and it's not fair, but that's the way it's, it's been set up. And and so, yeah, I, 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 I hadn't heard of that you know, sports team analogy before, but I, I think that's basically right. Yeah. I think that's basically right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the policy stuff, I think people just get complete. Look, I've, I've, I would love to talk about policy, you know, Hillary Clinton, 2016, uh, you know, their studies were sh- uh, done. Her policy was erased mm-hmm. because they had to talk about her emails. Literally, they, there were not enough pages or hours in, in the newspaper or hours on television. They they created this whole new category yeah. for her, which was emails. Policy got flushed. They were never going to hold Trump to any kind of policy uh, uh, standard at all. Uh, so he skated and didn't even know what he was talking about half the time. Now, I don't think we should run a Democratic campaign where the nominee doesn't know any. Uh, it's not even possible to nominate anyone in this country who knows as little as Trump. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it's got to be. Uh, look, and again, you know, I wish it weren't the case. It's a it's a it's a personality contest. You said something to Stephanie Miller the other day that uh, caught my attention. Uh, you said that this is a primary and we should expect a lot of shovel fights because after all, it is a primary. And while that's yeah. the realistic view of how things go, uh, do you think it's healthy uh, for this effort to oust Trump to be uh, pummeling each other 24 seven on social media? Well, you know, I also I also tweeted about a week ago. I said, you know, the the weeks surrounding Iowa and New Hampshire are the worst. Yeah, and they, yeah. For, for me, they were the worst in 2008. They were the worst <laughs> in 2016. The passion is just like overflowing, and so few people have voted. 
so there's a vacuum. And so it's all just this overheated passion among Democrats and people lashing out. And and my thing is just let people – once people start voting, yeah. it, the picture kind of comes into view and everyone – not everyone. I mean 2016 was quite contentious, as was 2008 for many months. But it, it, it kind of gets a little better and 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 I'm hoping that's what happens uh, this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, you know, a primary is a primary. It's a great idea that everyone should be united against Trump, but only one person gets to be the nominee. So you can't have 11 people and then seven and then five people on the debate stage and everybody agreeing. You, there has to be some back and forth that's because right. only one person gets to be picked. Mm-hmm. So just by definition... You know, if you want to be that person, you might want to highlight how you're different than the two people next to you. So, you know, and the New York Times, I've noticed, has has used this against this, the Democrats for try to create this, you know, Dems and disarray. Well, this primary was supposed to there was supposed to be unity. It was all supposed to be, you know, about ousting Trump. Well, yeah, it is, but it's a primary. Yeah. You know, and 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 I remind people that one of my favorite primary quotes, and this was '92. When Clinton and and really it was Clinton and Jerry Brown at the end, Clinton was going to win. Jerry Brown hated Bill Clinton's guts, couldn't even be on stand to be on the same stage. On the eve of the Democratic convention, Jerry Brown told the New York Times, "If you support Clinton, you're buying tickets to the Titanic." <laughs> and and, every, and by that point, everyone was like, "Oh." Imagine if mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren, you know, this week described, you know, Joe Biden's campaign as, I mean, you know, yeah. people would lose their minds. So, and, and, you know, Dukakis and Jackson, they, when they showed up for their uh, convention, they weren't even talking. I mean, it was so bitter between those. So my point is, you know, in the context of things, this is all very, uh, you know, this is like uh, Sunday afternoon tea, what we're seeing. I think I think there's I think Biden ran an ad like on TV, not just online that mentioned one or two other candidates by name. And I think it was the first one that even qualified as an attack ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of this is kind of it's it's to me, it still kind of seems like a walk in the park. But look, the press is desperate for a storyline, right? Yeah. They they've got way too many people covering way few way too few contests. And uh, so they need this story. I, I don't know why the obsession with the storyline. Why not just let the campaign play out? Right. Why not just say, oh, so-and-so won here. They did well. On to the ne- Oh, but it has to be packaged, right? It has to be mm-hmm. this narrative. And I don't think voters want or expect a narrative. Voters understand, oh, it's a primary. It's going to go for about four months. Okay, well, let's see who wins. But the press, uh, it it. it it kind of drives me crazy. Yeah, and, and so yeah. that just adds into this, oh, Dems in disarray. Dems are in panic. I don't see people in panic. I think a lot of people are looking at this primary and thinking, well, this is unusual. This is confusing. There might actually be, you know, a broker convention. But my point is, hey, you know, so far so good. I mean, yeah. they're all better than the other guy. <laughs> they're yeah. all better than the guy in the White House. Well, in terms of the press coverage, especially the cable news coverage, I think sometimes we talk about the press and we're really specifically talking about cable news. I mean, what they do, yeah. and I get the sense that cable news coverage of election cycles is all about Mad Libs. All right, we've got the page here and we got a bunch of blanks. we got to fill in those blanks. Okay, the, you know, 2016, it'll be Bernie, Hillary will go into the noun 
sections there. And then right, uh, right, right. this year it'll be Bernie and Klobuchar and Buttigieg, and we'll fill in those blanks that way. And things will, they'll, they'll try to sculpt things into that preordained narrative because that's, again, going back to what we were talking about initially, that's how they've always done it. That's the tradition. That's how they know how to cover these things. And it really is just a, a game of Mad Libs, isn't it? Yeah, and, and just a quick thing, and I just, and I just uh, for my latest column at, at my newsletter uh, press run, I talked about, you know, and, and it's this obsession with this, this narrative, and oh, we're going to, we're going to, we've only had two states, and oh, we're going to, it's over for some people. Oh, it's a two-person race. And I pointed out, you know, basically no black people have voted yet. Oh, right. I mean, literally. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have the two two of the whitest states in the country. Demo- black Democratic voters uh, are, uh, represent an incredibly important voting bloc. No Democratic nominee has ever won the nominee without 50% uh, of, of, of black support. I think Dukakis might have maybe been in the 40s because he was running against Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they are a hugely influential and important, uh, particularly in the primary season. And, you know, and, and I said, it seems to me, you know, this is what happens when you have a lack of diversity in the newsroom. I mean, you have overwhelmingly white journalists covering these primaries. They go to Iowa, they go to New Hampshire, and, and I think they think, well, this looks like America. You know, as I pointed out, America is 24% non-white today. Uh, so this idea that there's so many, it's, it's this driving obsession with the narrative, and the narrative is, hey, we're almost done. We're, we, this, thing, this thing could be over. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And, 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 and it's kind of insulting. Uh, when, when uh, you know, no, essentially no black people have voted yet. I mean, if we're going to be honest about Iowa and New Hampshire. Right, right. Well, yeah, we're still operating under an old paradigm. Once again, the old scripts. What was the last time we had a presumptive nominee out of New Hampshire and Iowa? Was it 2004 or something like that? And we still believe, yeah, oh, well, I it's got to play Jack out Harry that Pop- way. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know. Bill Clinton didn't win either. Hillary basically tied in Iowa, lost badly in New Hampshire. Yeah. She won the nominee. Both those cases. Why? 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 What happened in those campaigns? Well, you know, black voters kind of changed the trajectory. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're going to change the trajectory in 2020, although you know it's certainly uh, interesting in terms of you know who they're supporting. Uh, but really, it really just feel, it feels like they're just being erased from the whole conversation. That's right. Well, the website is pressrun.substack.com. It's a newsletter. It's free to sign up for it uh, at this point, right? You're not. You don't have any plans. Yeah, yeah, to... absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, publishing three times a week, so that's where all my writing is now. And, and so, if you want the columns, just uh, you know, email directly to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you subscribe, and that's where they'll be um, on, on those mornings. And then there's also a website for all the archives and, and all that stuff. And yeah, you know, going to try to hold some folks accountable during this during this crazy year. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, uh, unfortunately there's no shortage of things to discuss in terms of uh, questionable press behavior. But like you said, you know, we do it out of you know, we do it out of hoping to make them better. You know, we don't want the press to go to way, away. Yeah. Like conservatives do. We just want them to do their job way better. Well, keep fighting the fight, Eric. Really appreciate all hey, the Hey, thanks, man. Doing. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, my friend. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.